For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. The acts of flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, and faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking, and envying each other. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you so much, Mr. Luke. I like that hot to trot. I always like learning uh, new phraseology that I can use in church. That doesn't get me in trouble. And he's the head elder, so if he can use it, I can use it. No, uh, guys, let's dive into some prayer, and then we're going to literally unpack this verse by verse, talking about what God is up to. Heavenly Father, Lord, you are good. Uh, Lord, you have good for your children. And Lord, you have graciously adopted each of us into your family. So Lord, we pray over uh, this little outpost, this little family that you've gathered here. Lord, that we're able to encounter you in a different way and, and share that encounter with those you bring into our lives. Lord, we say this all in your son's precious name. Amen. So we are in the final week of a sermon series called Four Questions. And my argument has been that these four questions are something that every single person you know, yourself included, answers in some way, shape, or form. And each of these questions will lead you to certain actions, to certain worldviews, to start certain endpoints. The first one was, well, who am I? And all of us answer that question. You can see yourself as an electrician. You can see yourself as a mom or a dad. You can see yourself as a brother, as a pastor. But my argument was that scripture gives us a worldview where our foundational identity is as God's kids. 1 John 3.1 tells us, For how great is the love that the Father has lavished on you as God's kids, that you should be called children of God, and that is what you are. So that, that's the bedrock of our identity. And then that second question, so what's the problem? Again, all of us look at the world and we come up with what is the main problem? Is the main problem I don't have enough money? Is the main problem the country I live in? Is the main problem that my neighbors cut their grass at 6 a.m.? All of you have, right, that, that main problem that kind of sticks in your craw. But AJ did a fantastic job unpacking. No, the main problem is sin. And sin just destroys every relationship, just destroys every opportunity we have to connect with God, connect with each other, and connect with this world that he's put us in. And then last week we talked about, so what, if there's a problem, what are we going to do about it? What's the solution? And in a way, Jesus is the answer to all these questions, right? Who am I in Jesus? How does Jesus solve the problem? Certainly, what does the good life look like? But, but we put some flesh on that. We kind of leaned into the conversation that, depending on what we see as the problem, we're going to act differently in what we see as the solution to the problem. But today, this last question really sums it up. It's the end point. So what does the good life look like? And all of us strive for the good life. Again, whether we do it intentionally or not, all of us have a goal, a target that we're trying to shoot for. Maybe the good life is, I just want to retire, right? 
And so we reverse engineer, how do I get to retire? Maybe the good life is I want a big family. Or I, I want the nice house. Or I, I want to be considered a good person. Whatever it is, all of us put a target on what the good life is. And if you spend any amount of time with me, especially in a leadership setting, I am all about the word reverse engineering. Reverse engineering is starting with an end goal in mind and saying, okay, if that's where we're trying to get to, what steps do we have to take to get there? Right? And so for me, I write. I like to write books. And so at the beginning of this year, I literally said, I want to write a book by the end of the year. What do I have to do to do that? And so I literally reverse engineer the steps. And all of us do this. If you want to go on vacation, what do we have to do to get on vacation? Well, we got to save some money. We got to plan where we want to go. We got to book the tickets. We got to get the time off, right? All of these steps to get there. But again, there is a foundational what is the good life question that all of us as God's kids should be answering. And it's a different answer than all of those secondary needs, right? And going on vacation is great. Writing a book is fine, right? Getting a house, getting a new job, retiring, all these things are good, but they're not the ultimate good. And what we see in scripture is God wants for you, God wants for your kids, the ultimate good. And that is all about this passage in Galatians. Right, so it starts off, you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. All of you want to be free. Right? I, I want to be free. Countries, nations want to be free. And y'all, this is the good news. The good life is all about freedom. God's life for you is meant so you can experience freedom in a way that the world will never be able to offer. Because you see, God created the world. God knows what the good is. And yet so often when we think about freedom, we think about freedom being the choice to do wrong. And that's not freedom. Choice is not freedom. Talk to an addict about what their choices mean for their freedom. Right? If it's alcohol, if it's drugs, if it's money, whatever it is, right? And y'all, everyone in this room has an addiction problem one way or the other. That's what sin is. It's something we're addicted to. We keep choosing it, but it doesn't get us freedom. In fact, what it does is it just binds us down by all the brokenness and the hurt of the world. And what we have in God is instead a promise a commitment to know, I want you guys to experience what true freedom is. And literally what Paul does is he starts unpacking verse by verse how this looks like. Right? So he goes on. He says, but do not use your freedom. Do not take the choice to indulge in, 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 in your flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. There are two paths that we get to take. One is from the Lord's Prayer and one is from our own prayer. Your kingdom come, your will be done, or my will be done. That's it. Those are the only two choices we really get in this world. Do we want God's will to be done, or do we want our own personal will to be done? And we do get that choice. We have that option, right? I could say, you know, 
I know God says, love your neighbor as yourself, but my neighbor, oh, man. I know when I'm driving down the road, love your neighbor as yourself, that driver is my neighbor, but did you see him cut me off? And so my will be done means honking the horn, means cursing out loud, whatever it is, right? And my will be done always destroys everything. We're going to see that in a little bit. But that second option is God's will be done. So regardless of the exterior circumstances, regardless of what prompt comes my way, to say, no, God, I, I want to follow in your footsteps. I want to be a disciple. I want to learn to be more like you. And in learning to be more like you, I will experience true freedom because all those shackles, all that sin, all that muck, I don't have to carry it anymore. I get something better. Y'all get something better. But that is literally the dichotomy that we are going to see. Our will be done or your will be done. In fact, that's what happens when, when we die. Do you those are the two questions? For we as Christians, when we die and we go before the Father in judgment, our prayer is, your will be done. And his will is Christ died on the cross for our sins. And praise God that that bedrock, that foundation, that we are not built on our own strength to get into heaven. Or God's saying, no, your will be done. By yourself. You try to figure it out. And that, that, that's real hell. Right? That's the ultimate thing that separates us from God. It's not his love for us, it's our rejection of him. And literally, this passage just breaks that down. He continues to go on. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. Again, y'all, this is good news. The entire story of scripture is summed up in love. Right? Humanity making a mess of things and God's love triumphing over our mess. So every time we say, no, no, God, we'd rather have our will be done. In the garden, he gives us this perfect paradise. And we're like, ah, we got a better idea. And everything literally goes to hell. Right? Separation from God happens. Separation from each other happens. And God's love supersedes, triumphs over that again and again and again. The entire story of scripture is God's unending, unrelenting love for us, and then his call to have that same love for everyone he brings into our lives. That's what God is after. That's what the prayer, your will be done, is truly trying to get at. That all of scripture is summed up in love. And that in love, that's where that true freedom comes from. But again, on one side you've got that, and then you have the effects of the other. So Paul continues to go on. But if you devour, bite and devour each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. You know, this, is, this is the end result, always, of our will be done. And, and sometimes it's really small things. It's little petty arguments that we get into with our spouses. Right? No, sweetie, I, I don't want to squeeze the toothpaste out from that side. No, 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 it was your job to take out the trash. Right? When I impose my will, my own little kingdom, I want it my way or the highway, right? it destroys things. It hurts my relationship with my wife or it hurts my relationship with a friend or a family member or my neighbor or really big ways. Like what happened in Buffalo yesterday. He was answering the question, my will be done. 
Right? He, he was scared, literally by his own words, that white people were going to be taken out of this country, so he was going to fix it. That's what it looks like. That's where it goes. That's the dichotomy that we live in. Big things, small things. Our will be done, or God's will be done. And the good news, y'all, is we don't have to take that road. We have a different way forward. Galatians continues on. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For, the flesh desi- for what the flesh desires is contrary to the Spirit, and what the Spirit is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you, will, so you are not to do whatever you want. Again, God's will versus our will. And y'all, these things are not meant to live in parallel to one another. Sometimes we like to pick and choose, right? All right, with my family, I want God's will to be done. But when I'm at work, that, that's my territory. When it's with my uh, physical treasures, I want God's will to be done. But when it's with these treasures, I want my will to be done. Right? We separate our lives out. And we think that if we separate them, that they don't affect one another. But what we see is they just bleed into one another. And so when we try to separate our lives, it's like, okay, this is the stuff that's for me, and this is the stuff that's for God. What ends up happening is the flesh just starts to corrupt what God's doing over here. And it distorts how we think, and we, and we can't see clearly. And so Paul, he, he writes to the church, and he says, y'all, quit playing footsie with the world. Quit trying to have it both ways. Because it just breaks down, it, it just corrupts everything it touches. He says, and God has better for you. Acts Church Leander, God has better for you than your own small plants. Y'all, that's good news. That is great news. That is gospel news that God's plans are bigger than our own little world because you know what? This world is messed up. And if it's us versus the world, we're all going to get steamrolled. But if he is truly God, if he is truly seated on the throne, directing what's happening here, then we are playing with house money, y'all. Something good can happen. And Paul starts to unpack, okay, so what is that good life going to look like? But if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Okay, first and foremost, this is awesome. All right, so the Old Testament had all these laws, right? So many different regulations that they had to do, right, to prove they were God's people, to separate themselves from the world. And that, as what Luke alluded to earlier, is what they were arguing about, right? It was it circumcision? It's all these different rules to make God be okay with them. And Paul writes, he goes, y'all, it was never about that. But definitely when you have the Spirit, there, there is no law. What does that mean? Does it mean like God doesn't have a plan for us? We can do whatever we want? Sort of. This is what he means. When you are living in love, when you are in tune with the Spirit, you just naturally do the right thing. And true freedom comes in. And so if you're trying to love your neighbor as yourself, true freedom means that you get to use whatever God has built inside of you. Maybe it means baking them bread. Maybe it means sending them a text message. Whenever we live in love, there's nothing against us to clog us up. And that's where the real freedom, that's where the real creativity comes in. Sometimes we can get into our head, I gotta do this perfectly. I don't know, by the Spirit? You do it naturally. 
And we get to live out of that love, live out of that posture. And in that, there is true freedom. So I have heard this specific analogy that I'm about to tell you in three separate churches, in a Catholic church, in a Baptist church, and a Lutheran church. And, and the analogy is this, that God wants us to be free, but it's a dangerous world out there. And so what he did was he created the law, he created these rules as a boundaries to a playground. And so he puts this beautiful playground together and then he puts these boundaries around him. And I've heard this over and over and over again. And these rules are meant to keep us from getting out of the playground because outside of the playground, there's a semi-truck semi that's ready to hit you, right? Here's the problem with that analogy. If this is the playground that God's created, everything outside the playground is bigger, right? It's limiting what God's up to. The analogy is inversed. You see, sin is small. Our own little kingdoms, our own little plans, it's this tiny little space that we get trapped in and we get confined in. And everything outside of our sin is the goodness and the beauty and the strength and the love and the freedom God offers his kids. That's why he, when Paul's writing to the church, he goes, guys, when you are in tune with the spirit, the literal whole world is yours. Every option, every choice, every place you go, there is freedom and creativity and something beautiful that God is offering for you to choose and to experience. Y'all, God's love is so much bigger than this little world that we live in. Paul then goes on and he says, but again, two kingdoms, the acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, Hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, social, uh, social media, oh, I'm sorry, did I say that? Selfish ambition, <laughs> Floridian slip, uh, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. Man, that's a list, isn't it? And here's the reality. No one wakes up and says, you know what? Ten years from now, I want to be a petty, jealous person. Hey, we don't do that. We don't think, man, I just want to go toe-to-toe. -to -toe. I want to be, you ever met like just someone who's just ornery and angry and everything they see, you're just like, man, you just, you suck the life out of me, right? You don't wake up and think that's who I want to be. And yet that's what the world is right now, right? This, this broken, hateful, dissension, angry, full of every type of immorality. That's our will be done. That's Josh's will be done. That's where it leads to. And none of us start thinking that's where I want to end up, but if we're not intentional about the choices that we make, if we're not intentional about helping this next generation set their targets on the right thing, but instead we say, oh, no, no, your primary identity is here. Your primary problem is here, right? And we use the world's language and the world's choices. This is where we end up. That, that's the fruit. But, but there is good news. And thankfully, this isn't where Paul ends. As uh, Luke said, it wasn't like he was just mad. It's like, this is who you are. Mic drop and then walks out the door, right? Paul, much better pastor than that. Instead, he contrasts it with what the Spirit's up to. Before he does, he says, I warn you as I did before that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. This is the consequence. 
is that when we live by the world standards, we lose the presence, present tense of what God is doing. And the ultimate fruit of that is us choosing that we don't need God anymore. And don't, don't hear me and saying, oh my gosh, Josh, I was jealous this week, and so obviously I've lost my faith. That is not what Paul is saying. Right? All of us this week, in some way, shape, or form, have lived out the fruit of the world. And in that moment, when we were living out the fruit of the world, we weren't inheriting the kingdom. We weren't living under the reign of God. That's all of us, right? We lost that present moment. The good news is that we have a very gracious and kind God who says, y'all, your past is behind you. My forgiveness, my generosity, my grace is covering you here and now. But the ultimate fruit, eventually we can ultimately say, you know what, God, I'm just done. I don't care anymore. It literally, it jades us. And again, no one starts like that. Christians don't start like that. We don't start with, you know what, in 10 years, I want to be so jaded. I want to be so numb. I want to be so bought into the world that I don't even want to need God anymore. None of us starts there. But because we're not intentional, because we allow ourselves to just, just have another spoonful of the world, eventually that's where it can lead to. There are real consequences, both present and eternal, when we talk about the way of the world. All right, uh, so that, 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 that's the um, medicine. Let's have a bit of the sugar. But y'all, the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and forbearance and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control because against these things there is no law. Y'all, that's what we want. 20 years from now, 40 years from now, I hope that's what I'm known for. I want more love in my life. More than I want a bigger 401k or a bigger house or, or more vacations. I want more love in my life. I want to actively love better. I want to have joy. And like Kristen said, the difference between joy and happiness are really distinct. They feel the same. Right? Happiness literally comes from the word happenstance. So literally, the happenings determine your happiness. Did I get a new job? Did I get a pay raise? Did I get to go on this vacation? And happy things are fine, but they're fleeting. Joy, on the other hand, it doesn't matter what your circumstances are. This calm delight, this assurance, this literal light inside of us that just radiates out. That's what God's after. That's what we're called to seek. Forbearance, patience, to be able to endure and peace. Self-control. Does the world need self-control right now? Gentleness, faithfulness. Y'all, that's the good life. And y'all, that is so much deeper than anything the world can offer. Could you imagine if that's what the church was known for? Not, not getting into all this tribalistic stuff, not whatever the world thinks the Christians are right now. If we were known by our fruit, there was literally every time a Jesus person showed up, it's just like, wow, I just felt joy around that person. I just felt peace around that person. 
I felt love around that person. Y'all, this is our witness. Think about that for your kids. Huh. Holy Spirit's moving. See, he's, he's really on board with this. What, what would it look like to help your kids set that as their end goal? Not, not what school they get into, not who they marry, not what house they get, but y'all, the end win, the big win is for you to be so full of love and joy and patience and peace and kindness and goodness and gentleness and self-control. What if that's the win that we set? For me, that's a much better life. That is the good life. For you, it's the good life. For the next generation, it's the good life. That's the fruit that God is trying to offer each and every one of us. For you, and as the apostle said, and for your children, and for all who are far off. But here's the thing about fruit. If you're an apple, and you want to grow an apple, the apple does not wake up every morning and think, okay, I want to be an apple today. I want to be an apple today. I want to be an apple today. That's not how fruit works. Instead, fruit naturally happens when it's connected to the tree, to the source of life. And so for a long time, one of the analogies I used when I would talk about the fruits of the spirits is, y'all, it's a passive thing. And sort of it's passive. God doesn't want you to wake up every morning and just focus on being joyful. That's not how you get joy. No, no, no. It is a passive thing that comes from an active response to us connecting into God. And that's why Paul continues on with these words. For those who belong in Christ Jesus have been crucified in the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. You see, that's what God's after. You want to get to there. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faith, and self-control. Learning to live by the Spirit is how we get there. It's how we connect in. And it's those regular rhythms that we do, those breathe in, breathe out moments that we build into our week that connect us back to God. Whether it's morning devotionals, whether it's prayer time, whether it's reading scripture, whether it's like Erica and I walking on the block and praying for one another, it's those moments those rhythms that we build into our lives that get us in tune, in step with the Spirit, and then naturally we're able to connect and understand what God's doing, who God is, and how from there we know what to do and those fruits start to naturally happen. That's why, and y'all, I'm going to beat this drum for the next year. My heart, my passion, my literal prayer for this church every morning now is that each of you through time, through reflection, through experimentation, find a rhythm as a household, not just as an individual, but as a household where you can do something regularly together that gets you in tune with the Spirit because you all getting in tune with the Spirit is how we start to see the fruits of the Spirit, and that's where we get the good life. And we're not going to do it perfectly. Erica and I don't do it perfectly. The Hueys don't do it perfectly. But together, we get invited into a different rhythm and in tune with the Spirit, y'all, the good life starts to manifest itself in and through us as God's kids. And that is good news. But one of the rhythms that we do have 
and that we're building back up more publicly as a church is to realize that y'all, I as your pastor last week was not always exhibiting the fruit of the spirit. Discord and dissension and hurt, that was in my life and it was in your life. And so we as a church build into our rhythm a time of confession, but then absolution where the grace of God pours down over us and we're using scripture to do that. And so we're gonna say together these words from uh, the book of Romans. And this is Paul, the apostle, the OG church planter saying, y'all, I'm still struggling with some stuff. And so I'm gonna invite you in person, I'm gonna invite you at home to read these words along with me to confess that we're still works in progress. For I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do, but what I hate to do. So I find this law at work. When I want to do good, evil is right there with me. Who will rescue me from this body of death? And y'all, the good news. Straight from Romans, thanks be to God through Christ Jesus our Lord. Therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Acts Church Leander, your sins are forgiven. My sins are forgiven. He remembers them no more. And the heartbeat of the gospel, the good news that there is a God who wants you to be more loving and joyful and peaceful and patient. And he is going to spur that fruit in you as you align and fall in rhythm with him. Y'all, that is good news. Amen. I'm going to pray. I'm going to invite the band up. Uh, as we're going to continue our worship into a time of music and then into the Lord's Supper where God promises to meet us. Heavenly Father, you're good. Heavenly Father, you're loving and you're joyful and you're patient and you're peaceful and you're kind and gentle. And Lord, you are full of faithfulness and self-control. And so, Father, Lord, we give you thanks for setting that goal, that end spot for us as your kids. Lord, and we pray that you help us reverse engineer what that looks like in our lives. Lord, that we can find unique opportunities for our household to worship you and to celebrate you and to connect with your spirit, that together we can be in rhythm with who you are. Lord God, we give you thanks that your definition of the good life is different than the world's. Father, Lord, we say this all in your son's precious name. Amen. We rise as we continue our worship.